Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Well, we are delighted that you would join us on December 31st, the final day of the year. And moms and dads, I know you have kids in here. We kind of hear them. I think they're doing a great job. But just by way of reminder, if you feel uncomfortable as a parent, everything's live streamed out into the foyer. So if you want to step out for a little bit and take your child with you, we will not be offended by that. And I promise we will not call you out for bad parenting, all right? Uh, Good parenting means you have your kids in church with you. So we are delighted that they're here. And our kids program, Ellie, starts up next Sunday again, right? Great. So we look forward to that. Um, We are kind of like, I'm looking for my slides here, if you can, there we go. Uh, There is only once every seven years that a pastor gets a chance to preach on the final day of the year, okay? And I was thinking about that because I was thinking like, that's the perfect day, like you only have 24 hours, well not even that now, between now and tomorrow morning to start living out everything for the next year. And then it occurred to me that's the only day of the year that I could really say, let's just look back for the last year. And then I started looking at what the Bible said about that, and and I started seeing that sometimes it said, remember the past, and sometimes it said, forget the past, right? And it occurred to me that we just really don't think very carefully about what the Bible says about the benefits and dangers of looking back. I love the illustration that's shared, you'll probably see it again, that, uh, that a windshield is larger than the rearview mirror. So you should spend less time looking in the rearview mirror than looking forward and ahead. But as I thought about that, I thought the problem with that is that for many of us, when we look in the rearview mirror, this is what we see. Baggage, 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 baggage. Lots of baggage that we're chained to. And so I just started thinking like, how am I supposed to look in the rearview mirror and what am I supposed to focus on when I look in the rearview mirror at my past. And uh, there's sometimes messages really minister to me, so I'm glad you can hear it. But this is one of those messages that just was such a deep encouragement to me in so many ways that you can listen, but God was the one speaking to me. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a couple of passages, Isaiah 46 and Deuteronomy 8. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? And just notice the focus on the word remember, Okay. Remember, Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Simple, simple message this morning. When you look to the past, there's two things you need to remember. When you look to the past, two things you need to remember. Here's the first one. Remember God properly, okay? 
and remember God's purposes. That's it, like six words, so that shouldn't be too hard for you to hold on to, okay? When you look in that rearview mirror, the first thing you should be thinking is, is, am I remembering God properly? And am I remembering God's purposes, okay? So that's it, simple, simple, simple. Let me just clarify a few things for you, and this is what I mean by remembering God properly. And not only does the message only have two points, but it's only got two points under two points, and one of those is a question. It's very, very simple, okay? Uh, Remember God properly, remember God's purposes. Here's how you remember God properly. He is defined by his character, not our circumstances. God is defined by his character in the Bible, not our circumstances. And I want to show you that in that text that we just spoke about in Isaiah 46. By by the way, um, this morning as I was reviewing that text, I thought this is going to be the first passage of the year I memorize, right? Isaiah 46, 8 through 10 is just a loaded, loaded passage, okay? But here it is. He that is God is defined by his character, not our circumstances. Let me show you that in the text. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. There's our condition, okay? We are sinners. Remember the former things of old. Here's God speaking. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Notice no reference at all to his, to our circumstances and whether or not we believe God did what we wanted him to do. It's just this. I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And that teaches me two things in the text. Here's the first one. When he says, I am God and there is no other, that means every other desire in my heart outside of God is potentially an idol. That's right. If I want something more than I'm dwelling upon God, that's got to be potentially an idol. Um, I was meeting with a gentleman who was helping me work through some of these things a few weeks ago, Kim and I were, and as I was talking through this with him, he, he actually called me out for being an idol worshiper, like right there. And, and I even paid him for it, right, okay. Like, but he just said, Phil, what's going on with you there? You aren't getting what you want. Your heart isn't getting what it wants. That makes you a what? You can say it. He said, you can say it. I said, that makes me an idol worshiper. He said, that's right. Because anytime I want something more than God, that shows me I have elevated what I wanted over my relationship with God. That makes me an idol worshiper. I do not worship God because my circumstances are good. I worship God because when I read about him in the Bible, that's what's true about him. Now, I'm just going to take a couple aspects of God. Oh, here's the second part. I am God and there is no other. That means that uh, that, means that, um, that speaks to the fact that I potentially am idol worshiper. But when he says there is none like me, that means God's character is unique. It's unique. It's, there's none like him. And that means that w- what we should do is concentrate when we look in that rearview mirror, we ought to concentrate more on God's character than on our circumstances. Now, I'm going to bring that home in a second, but I just want to just chase a couple of God's qualities through the Bible for you, okay? So here's the first one. Let's talk about the fact that God is unchanging. I could talk about anything, but I just selected a couple to show you how it works, okay? God is unchanging in his being, his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. God's unchanging. Another way the Bible refers to that is he is immutable. He cannot change, okay? And that means his being, perfections, purposes, and promises, they're not going to change, right? In fact, I love the way Psalm 102 reads that. 
We actually sung about it this morning, about even though the earth pass away, but watch how definitive it is in the Psalms. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That's creation. They will perish, but you endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like raiment, and they pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Remember once when I was fishing in Colorado, that the guide actually said to me, I said, like, where's the hot spots? He said, they change every single week. He said, Phil, when that water is released off the dam, sometimes all of that gravel on this side of the river is now on the other side of the river. He said, it's like, so you, you never really know where the fish are because the, the, the river surface itself is changing every single day. God does that kind of thing. He looks at the earth and he says, I'm going to change it, right? You change the earth like raiment and they pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. Now, I know it's early on a Sunday morning, but just let me unpack um, a Dutch theologian for you real quickly by the name of Herman Bavink, because this is such a great way to think about it. Just note this. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. Every creature is continually becoming something. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction, and finds this rest in God, in Him alone, for only He is pure being and no becoming. That is, God is complete, right? Hence, in Scripture, God is often called the rock. I love that. He is unchanging. This is this great picture that God is not like us. When He says, I am God and there is none like me, He is not like us. He is unchanging. You and I are constantly, constantly changing. How many of you uh, enjoyed your Christmas dinners? Christmas dinners? How many of you have some work to do because you enjoyed your Christmas dinner too much, okay? Right, you're changing, okay? You can't imbibe that much food without changing, okay? And you're growing, not necessarily in a spiritual sense, right? The point is this, we're changing, God is not. God is not. Because he is being and not becoming something We have to look to him and him alone. Let me give you another one. This is one of my favorite qualities of God. He is all wise, which means he knows all things actual and possible and what is best for me. That's kind of how I describe in my thinking God's wisdom. And I want to use this passage in Exodus 13 to demonstrate it because I want want you to just kind of, if you can, just kind of drop this passage on your life presently. Here it is. When Pharaoh let the people go, okay, there's Egypt down here. And the shortest way to the promised land, it's about a two-week walk from Egypt, is just right up the Mediterranean. Like, check out the, the uh, seaside property, hit some beaches or something, but, but that's the shortest way, okay? But instead, God led them down here, over to the Red Sea, then back up in here, and then all the way up and coming over the River Jordan. That is not the shortest way, okay? And God tells you why he did that. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. That's the shorter way, right up the coast, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now stop there for a second. How does God know that? How does God know that? God knows that because in his wisdom and knowledge, he knows both all the possibilities as if they were actualities. That means you and I can no longer say, well, I messed that up and, 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 and I, it was my fault and I messed that up and therefore my life is messed up, okay? God knew you were going to mess it up. You can't say, I missed my greatest possibility back when I was in eighth grade and, and, and that's why my life is a mess. God knew that was going to happen. 
And I love this because look at what God does. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, if you are an Israelite and Moses is leading you and all of a sudden he comes right over there and says, we're going back to the promised land, you're saying, why are we going that way when the promised land is that way? And then all of a sudden, there you are at the edge of the Red Sea and you're saying, this is, somebody needed a GPS here, okay? Because the, Israel, the, the Egyptian army is bearing down on the backside of you and there you are with nothing but the Red Sea and you probably would have thought in that moment, God made a mistake. But see, God didn't make a mistake. He knew that if he had sent you up that way, you would have chickened out. So he puts you here where you have no way to chicken out because you're hemmed in by the mountains, you can't go anywhere and the Egyptians are behind you and you're either gonna die or you're gonna cross the Red Sea and then he just opens the Red Sea, see? Why? Because God is all wise. He knows all things, actual and possible, and what is best for me. And the theologian Wayne Grudem captured it this way. Every day of our lives, we may quiet our discouragement with the comfort that comes from the knowledge of God's infinite wisdom. Just let that thought settle in for a second. Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you uncertain about the future? Then what Grudem is saying is you need to think over the wisdom of God. When you look in the rearview mirrors, just look for God's wisdom back there. Don't look for all of your circumstances. If we are his children, we can know that he is working wisely in our lives, even today, to bring us into greater conformity to the image of Christ. Beautiful. Okay, that's the point. He is defined by his character, not our circumstances, which brings us to one question for the new year. Here it is. When we look to the past, do we dwell on our problems more than the qualities of God? I don't know why I never noticed that. Like if I'm looking in that rearview mirror and I'm looking back, am I looking at my problems? Or am I just looking for aspects of God's character in my past? Now, let me, let me show you how that works, practically speaking, okay? When we look to the past, do we dwell on our problems um, more than the qualities of God? When I look to the past, I should constantly be looking for the attributes of God. So just imagine this. I've just given you a few of them, okay? This is kind of like a, a short list, a few of the attributes or qualities of God. Omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, immutability. He's unchanging, holy. He is without sin, just. He makes all things right. Okay. Gracious, he is a giver of good gifts. Truth, he is unable to lie. And I love this, love, thoroughly sacrificial. This is God, okay? He is everywhere present. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He's not gonna change. He's without sin, so he's not going to act in a selfish way regarding you. Um, he's going to make all things right. So you say, listen, if you knew what happened to me at work, God did, God does, and God will make it right. See, When you look in the mirror and see that problem, you, you, need, to, you need to compensate with an attribute or quality of God. And that's when I thought, hmm, what's in my baggage? What's in your baggage? What's in the baggage when we look back at life? Because when I look in the rearview mirror, if all I see is my baggage, okay, I'm not concentrating on any of these things. So I'll give you two areas where we kind of pack our stuff in the suitcase. One is things I've done or you've done, and one is things done to me. Okay? Things I've done, past failure, regretful feelings, persistent sinful habits, something I say, every year I try to get over this and I can't get over it. Angry responses, and those are internal and external. So if you think, well, I don't get angry, I just get quiet, okay? You're quietly angry. That's what you are, okay? Internally, you can be angry too. The Bible calls that bitterness. The Bible calls the other wrath or temper. That's external anger. 
Anxious thoughts. Notice I didn't say struggles with anxiety. There are times when we have anxious thoughts and we dwell on those thoughts. We look in the rearview mirror and we think, what if, if only, what if, if only, what if, if only. And all we see are the anxious thoughts. What if we begin to say, no, 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 no. I got to concentrate on one of these things when I look in the mirror. Because God is God. He is defined not by how I view my circumstances, but how the Bible defines his character, see. And how about this? Things not only I've done, but things done to me or to you. Hurtful words, unfairly treated, unloving relationships, bullying, abuse, Those are things that have been done to you. You say, well, where is God? Listen, what you want to remind yourself of, because the Bible says it very clearly, that no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God cannot be tempted, neither tempts he anyone, because everyone is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So God doesn't cause the sin. But the sin of someone else does have an impact on you and on me. It does, okay? It does. Those are things done to you. So which one of God's qualities do you want to look for in the rearview mirror rather than look into your past and dwell on those things? If it's abuse, you want to dwell on the justice of God. You say, well, God's not just now, but he will be. Okay. Matthew 18 says very clearly, listen, it's better if a man goes swimming with a millstone, a two-ton stone around his neck than that he cause a little one to, to stumble or sin. God is a just God. If it's unloving relationships, then if someone has been unloving to you, then concentrate on the love of God. He is thoroughly sacrificial. If you were unfairly treated, concentrate on the justice of God. If you have used hurtful words, if someone has used hurtful words with you, then concentrate on the graciousness of God. See, when you look in the mirror, what you focus on is going to be the issue. And that's what I mean. We all have to look in the rearview mirror from time to time. Are you concentrating on something you know about God to be true? Are you concentrating on the problem? And I love the way that John Piper described it. He said, pray that God would open your eyes to who he really is so that his name would be treasured in your heart above all things. Can you imagine what next year would be like? Just think about this for a second. If you spent all of 2024, every time you looked in the mirror, you look for a quality of God. That would be life-changing that would probably be the most life-changing thing I as your pastor could tell you. If you could practice that for a year, at the end of the year, next year, you would look back and say, every time I I, I struggle with self-pity, I struggled with regrets, I concentrated instead on an attribute or quality of God. And that's what I mean by when you look to the past, you and I have to remember God properly according to his character, not according to our circumstances. Okay, here's the second thing. You gotta remember God's purposes. You gotta remember God's purposes. And I'm gonna give you his purposes in a sentence, okay? Here it is. He is intentional for his glory and our good, but not necessarily our comfort. He is intentional. That's the best word I could think of for God's purposes. He intends two things, his glory and our good, but not necessarily our comfort. And see, this is a problem because we define good as what's comfortable or secure. But when you look at the Bible, that's not, that's not the story of the Bible at all. The story of the Bible is God putting people in uncomfortable situations, things that made them insecure so that they would call out to God and depend upon him. 
I mean, King David spends half of his life running from a man who is attempting to kill him. Like, most of us have never faced that with our lives. He is intentional, God is intentional for his glory, which he can be because he's God, okay, and our good. And this is that familiar passage in Romans 8, 28. The New Living Translation renders it this way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is about what is best for you. But he is not about you defining what is best for you. And that's where we get hung up. We think it's about us defining what is best for us. And I I started with this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I just want to take you there again. Because I think that best defines this idea that God has purposes. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 46, his purposes are unchanging. And here's what we read in Deuteronomy 8. There, remember Deuteronomy is a book written to the second generation of Israelites because the first generation came up out of Egypt, saw all those miracles, and should have said, wow, God is so awesome. If we wander around for 40 years, he'll get us to the promised land eventually, no problem. But instead, they complained, and God said, fine, I'll bury you in the wilderness, and I'll take your kids into the promised land, okay? The problem is, is that mom and dad never taught them Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so Deuteronomy, Deuteros is second, um, second law. Moses had to teach this new generation the law. That's why the book of Deuteronomy is there, because mom and dad spent all their time complaining as opposed to their time teaching their kids who God was. And so this is what Moses says. And you should remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. Ooh, did you see that? There's the purposes of God. And nothing about that is comfortable. What if this year you, as you look in the rearview mirror, you look at your past and say, what did I learn? What, did, what should I have learned? What should I have learned to become more like Jesus in what I faced? What if that's how you looked at the next year? This year, I just want to complete this year by saying, whenever something difficult happened, my question, my, my goal was to come to it as a learner, not as a complainer, see? Because the one thing you know about the Israelites is all they did was complain. From the moment they wandered in the wilderness, they started complaining. To know what was in your heart, that's why God tested you, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, God, God's even gonna, Moses is even gonna give them what the test was. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Now, just for a moment, kind of camp on that word for a second. He hunger, lets you hunger, and then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know. Now, just stop for a second and think about this. Um, when a child is hungry, what do they do? They cry. Okay. Can you imagine two and a half million people, I don't know, maybe uh, 500,000 children all crying because they're hungry? Before we're too hard on the Israelites for complaining, just know this, that They were hungry and their kids were hungry and their parents were hungry and everybody was hungry, okay? And God actually let them hunger. Why? To humble them. And so that when he fed them, they would know that it just wasn't what they did, it was what God did. And that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by the very every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. They were supposed to grow through their difficult circumstances into greater dependence on the Lord. 
but they did not. Okay? They chose to complain. And by the way, in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven, all the way up to year 40, here's what we discover. Your clothing did not wear out and your foot did not swell these 40 years, which means your sandals didn't wear out either. Your feet, you weren't walking around barefoot. God took care of you for 40 years, and yet still you complained. Remember God's purposes. He is intentional for his glory and your good, but not necessarily for your comfort. Here's the question. When we look to the past, do we complain more than we seek to learn God's lessons? Personal confession. I fall, in the, I fall in the first category, and I want to do that differently this year. When I look at the past and things that didn't go quite right, I tend to complain about them. Even though I may not actually verbalize them to anybody, they're rattling around up here, okay? I'm complaining in my head about certain things. And what I should be doing is looking at that and saying, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What lesson did God want me to learn? How did he want to humble me? How did he want me to learn? How did he want me to, what, how did he want me to grow in my dependence on him? See, that's very, very different. I love this picture of your baggage and my baggage, okay? Because it's got a chain around it, like, like we're chained to it, okay? That's how I first interpreted the picture when I looked at it. Like, well, we all just drag 16 suitcases along with us wherever we go, okay? But after I discovered truths in the Bible, I started looking at it differently. Maybe God wanted me to not keep opening that baggage up. Now, I'm not saying if you have something you need help on, you don't get help on it. You should get help on it. But listen, you're not going to get any better if you just keep opening up the baggage for the next 50 years, okay? Maybe there's a point where we just say, hmm, I'm just going to keep the bag shut, because when I look in my rearview mirror, I don't see my baggage anymore. I have learned the habit of seeing a quality or an attribute of God. I don't even want to open up the suitcase anymore. My life is not determined and yours is not determined by the fact that you, ha you have baggage. You had failures. You have regrets. You have things you feel badly about or things happen to you. That doesn't determine your life. Here's what determines your life. Every time you look at the past... You think, hmm, which attribute of God should I be concentrating on? And every time you face difficult circumstances, you simply humbly ask, Deuteronomy 8, how should I grow and how should I learn? You know what's really phenomenal about this passage, <clears throat> this Deuteronomy 8 passage, is if you're a New Testament reader, you've seen this verse. You see this verse in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is tempted. And for the longest time, I always thought that, you know, when Satan comes and says, hey, listen, turn this stone into bread, that the temptation was that Jesus would actually use his miraculous powers to take care of himself, okay, because the New Testament doesn't ever record him doing that. He, he didn't say, wow, I'm really tired tonight, <clears throat> poof, I'll make myself a queen-size bed and I'll sleep in it, okay? No, he was a man without a country. He was a man without a house. He was a man without a place to lay his head. I thought the longest time that it was just that stone was just, it felt like bread. It looked like bread. His mother's, he could smell his mother's oven cooking bread and that just for a moment, but I don't think that's it. 
he was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. It's all too perfect. It's God saying, listen to his son, will you complain or will you trust me? You know what Jesus says to Satan? Sorry, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you do understand that he is so deprived at the end of that 40 days of fasting that the Bible says that angels came and ministered to him. It was angelic ER. They came there because he couldn't feed himself. He was that dependent upon the Father without ever complaining. Satan's temptation was this. Hey, what kind of father would never feed their son and let him sit out here for 40 days without providing something for him? And the temptation was that Jesus would complain like the Israelites did, but he did not. And when you and I are asked to be conformed to the image of Christ, that's what we're after. We're not, the, the thing about Christians is, is Christians should be the absolute anathema of complainers, okay? because Jesus was not. And yet, when we look into our past, look at the mirror, we remember we are so prone to start to complain. Now notice something else in Isaiah. Here it is, quickly. Um, just two chapters earlier, it says, remember we were told to remember, remember, remember? But two chapters earlier, it says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I love that. <laughs> Most commentators say, here's what's happening. God is saying, listen, of all the things I ask you to look upon the past, it's nothing compared to what I'm about to do in the future. <laughs> Meaning, referencing, <coughs> he will send his son. His son, John the Baptist, will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, and Jesus will come. Okay? Just remarkable. Which means even the best that we have from God is not as good as it's going to get. We look at our past and focus on the wrong thing in the rearview mirror. Think in terms of God's character, think in terms of his care of you. You say, Phil, it doesn't change. It's a broken world. My, my past is broken. Totally get it. Oswald Chambers, I think, said it best in my utmost for his highest. Leave the broken, irreversible past in his hands and step out into the invincible future with him. I get it. I'm not downplaying your difficulty or your brokenness when you look in the rearview mirror of your past. What I'm encouraging you to do is don't just look at the difficulty of the past. Look at it through the glasses of the character of God. Which aspect of his attribute or quality do you need? And look at it without complaining, but by trusting Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word. I thank you how alive it is, Lord, that it's already wound me up to want to do things differently this year just by looking and saying, what does the Bible say about my past and how should I manage that? I pray that it'll be encouragement to those who are here today. I know there's pain in this room. There's a painful past for 2023 for many who are here. Sometimes that Pain and those baggage, that baggage goes way back beyond this past year. But I pray, Lord, you would give us hope 
that we would trust you, that we would place our confidence in you. And Lord, what a joy if we would be a church that at the end of 2024 would know more about the attributes and quality of God because that's what we were dwelling on every time we looked into the rearview mirror. Help us look into the past properly so that we can live for you in the present in a way that gives you glory. In Jesus' name.